Well, hello everyone. Welcome to the 135th edition of DF Direct Weekly. After a week's absence, uh, I'm finally back. Yes, COVID finally got me. But um, hopefully my voice will hold up for the next couple of hours. Uh, joining me, first of all, Alex Battaglia. Hi. I can't um, guarantee that my voice will hold. Is it just cracks right there? Hold right now. I'm <laughs> fighting back a cold, apparently, that just came upon me last night as I was falling asleep. Just like some deathly virus. Oh dear, oh dear. Um, John, how are you feeling? Uh, I feel perfectly fine, thankfully. Okay. <laughs> Mercifully. Let's hope it stays that way. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay, well, we've got a lot to get through, so let's crack on. Our first news story, I guess, has to be Alan Wake 2, which, um, well, we were expecting great things from it, but I think the bottom line is that um, it's not just a technological showcase, but the review mm. reactions to the game yeah. have been absolutely phenomenal metacritic is currently above 90 uh there's a huge array of 10 out of 10s 9 out of 10s for the game i've got to say i'm hugely thrilled for remedy this is richly earned richly deserved the game is incredible uh certainly in terms of uh, digital foundries um sort of audience statistics uh, based on just the first video we put up sta stacked up against our first spider-man video it's right up there yeah, so this right. is like it's a big game awesome. this is this is just incredible yeah. uh, john i'm going to go to you first let's talk about the game just generally first of all um obviously it's now weapons free we can say whatever we like about it what weapons would you free. like to say what's your big <laughs> takeaway for alan wake 2 okay there's there's three sort of let's bust out the john pillars shall we there's three <laughs> pillars on which this game is is built that i uh, i find very compelling uh there's the visual side there's the game itself and then there's the storytelling right and i think yeah it, i know mm -hmm. what you mean it really nails these three elements in ways that is that are both expected as a remedy fan, but also surprising as one as well, which is what I didn't expect. So obviously, uh, well, let me just start with the other stuff first, then we'll get to the graphics. I, I, I'm a big fan of what Remedy's always done. They always try to sort of pull the rug out from under the player, introduce fun new concepts, and sort of take you down this road of uh, what's going on. That sense of like confusion and wanting to know more. You see interesting visual designs. There's things that pop into the story. Strange things happen. You don't understand what's happening. Games are the perfect medium for this. This is something that I that used to be more common in games, actually. I mean, this is one of the reasons I was a big fan of, like, say, the Metal Gear games, because they were all about this kind of stuff. Uh, Silent Hill does this as well, and Remedy has always been great at it. And Alan Wake 2 really pushes this to the next level, because you're playing between these two characters, Saga and, of course, Alan Wake himself. And, of course, Max Payne is in there as well. <laughs> Mr. Casey, I guess, actually. Uh and this, it's kind of one of those games where there's layers of reality that you're exploring and the game takes you on this journey through these different layers and it slowly peels them back, leaving you in this state of confusion, yet amusement, if you will. And I just find that stuff really compelling. Like it's, it's much more so than Alan Wake 1. Alan Wake 1 plays well, but it's actually my least favorite of Remedy's games, I would say. Uh, because I feel it got very repetitive. You're just running through the the landscapes for like hours, shooting the <laughs> same guys over and over and over again. It gets very tedious, I thought, even though the core mechanics are good. Alan Wake 2 is nothing like that. In fact, it's so different that I was actually a little bit surprised where, especially early on, it starts more as almost an adventure game. 
there's dialogue choices, there's exploration, you're piecing together puzzles, you're going into sort of like figure out the, the crime scene, if you will, uh, and all this kind of stuff. And then obviously Alan comes into the story and he too is figuring out like what's actually happening here. And Mm -hmm. slowly but surely they introduce more shooting into the game, but it's just this feeling of spiraling through some kind of like uh portal into madness and i love that stuff but obviously the big thing for the digital foundry side is uh, the visuals and i'm just gonna say it right now alex i i don't want to spoil things too much but i'm gonna spoil <laughs> it this is the best this is the best looking game of the year uh yeah, and probably one of the best looking games ever made uh this is this is a technical showstopper and I would say both on consoles and the PC, which wasn't the case, I would say, with Cyberpunk 2077, which we awarded our Graphics of the Year award in the past. That was mm-hmm. just for the PC version. And while the PC version definitely is a step above, I think they actually did do a great job with the console version as well. And it's really just, right. it's about the lighting, the lighting model here, especially on PC. But wow, the path tracing, just the way, like there's the, the, the way ambient light spills across the scene and sort of like you can almost feel the photons <laughs> moving <laughs> through the world bouncing off the surfaces it truly uh demonstrates the the whole concept of the world is just a series of mirrors that are more or less rough uh because everything yeah. is reflective as it should be from the most uh like the roughest surface to like the most mirror like sheen everything uh reflects correctly and it's it's, awesome. it's not always in your face necessarily. It's it's often more subtle, but like once you notice it, it just starts to feel somehow more realistic in a way that I'm not used to seeing in video games anymore. So or any, anymore, I say. I mean that I'm not used to seeing in video games. Full stop. Uh, mm. So there's a lot to do with this, and I actually want to hear some some other thoughts here. So Alex, was hältst du von Alan Wake 2? Das allerbeste Spiel meines Lebens. Um, no, uh, well, it is very good. Uh, I don't know if it's called the best game I've ever had in my life, but it is no. incredibly well made um, uh, in a lot of ways. And just to talk about the technical things, I think uh, John hit it, uh, the nail right on the head there about uh, being accomplished technically across all the platforms. We have yet to see Series S, though, um, uh, as true. of typing this, so I can't say too much about that. But I presume Series X will be right up there with PlayStation 5. Maybe it'll have differences in performance, kind of like we saw in Control when that released. Um, I can't say anything about that yet because I haven't there's no fo- There's no photo mode in this game, though, Alex. They, I, that they... was one thing that so disappointed me while doing this because I <laughs> wanted to make – I want to see what I can do next week because uh, I'm going to be working on another video covering the path tracing and ray tracing recommended settings and all those kind of things and maybe a little bit more holistically about the game. But I want to show, like, the – how dense like the geometry is how dense the lighting interactions can be but your camera only gets so close you know and that yeah. that's 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 a bit of a bummer always someone I has think, to see what we can i don't know I don't it's got to be that uh that control thing when when you highlighted the di- performance difference between the consoles using photo mode <laughs> yeah it's got to be that. that was very controversial uh, yeah. there was lots of comments like uh we're like, benching photo mode here benching we're do photo mode. what are you guys doing over there 
Bunch of Actually, jackaloops. Uh, we should. Uh, it should be pretty easy to see any performance differences right in the beginning of the game, if there's any between Xbox Series X and PS5, because there's bits in the beginning of the game that that the not the very very beginning, but the four sections in the game are heavier than other sections. And I think that's borne out a bit in some of the benchmarking that's being done, where if you benchmark like the town or some areas where Alan Wake is, there's not the like vegetation is always really expensive to render so it's definitely expensive here as well too um but, but on the, the technical level it, it looks really good on any platform currently that i've seen that you can play it on uh the lowest settings on pc are like the high settings in other games and i think that's one thing uh that we'll talk about a little bit later where even if you turn down the settings in this game, you're going to get a really good looking game. And that isn't the case for everything. It wasn't the case in the original Crisis. You, do, you know, you turn down the graphics in the original Crisis. Uh, they scaled to like lower than Far Cry. It didn't run that well always, but oh, like, yeah. you could really make that game super ugly on the low settings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, the low settings only go so far because they want to keep, obviously, a lot of the artistic value in the game without letting you go full potato mode. Uh, but it still runs really well, I would say. Given the hardware, they're also using mesh shaders or primitive shaders on PlayStation 5. And actually, when we were at Gamescom, uh, I did talk with Tatsu Alto about this, who's their TD, technical director, and he right. mentioned that they were using mesh shaders or the equivalent of uh, primitive shading on PlayStation 5, which is something that RDNA 1 has. It's very close to mesh shading, just doesn't have like the amplification stage. That's about it. Um, and there, they're using to fine-grain call away geometry using meshlets, which is a way to like break up the geometry of an object so you can get like really like fine understanding of where the, the vertex edges are and where the geometry is so you can call away the stuff you don't see the player doesn't see this is all good stuff because that means you can pump up the geometric quality everywhere across the world and i think that's really evident oh, yeah. in alan wake too where almost every object you walk up to it's super dense in terms of geometric quality it's one of the first things that i noticed uh not in the opening cutscene, but the one thereafter, just like a lot of the stuff going on. And uh, that's without even talking about the path tracing. I'm just very happy with the technical quality of the game at release. Um, and that is in spite of the, uh, I would say, like feverish hate that the game got for uh, putting out Good recommended Lord. specs. Um, there's a lot to talk about that, Rich. I don't know. Do you want to say something about the recommended spec situation? Um, yeah, I mean, basically, uh, and I think uh, Remedy itself said post embargo that they were somewhat conservative with their uh, kit recommendations. Um, the minimum kit requirement um, on the AMD side is the RX 6600, which I find to be a really interesting GPU because, you know, there's not so many decent GPUs you can buy these days that are sub $200. This thing's been as low as 180 wow. for ages. Right? <sighs> and so, you know, this is a minimum spec um, uh, GPU, which Remedy has specified. So I thought I'd give it a go. And I'm not going to make it easy uh, on, the, on, the, on the GPU here. I just dialed in exact PlayStation... Uh, specification settings for the quality and the performance modes. So, you know, basically it's like 1270p, uh, medium, high, low hybrid for the quality mode and uh, FSR2 scaling up to uh, 4K. Uh, quality, uh, sorry, performance mode is basically um, minimum settings. Uh, 1440p output, I think it's 870p internal resolution. And, you know, bearing in mind, you know, it's not going to be as good as a PS5, right? But it's not a million miles away. So, you know, that quality mode alternative 
a 6600 is not a 4K card, but this is what we're forcing it to do. Still doing 27 frames per second average across this sort of uh, foliage heavy bench. Uh, can go lower, of course, it can go higher. Um, but, you know, it's not bad. Um, the performance mode uh, equivalent, basically 52.9 FPS. So, you know, that's just kind of nuts. That's good. <laughs> um, for, you know, bearing in mind uh, Remedy is specifying like 720p30 on low for this GPU, I believe, based on the recommended specs. It's obviously much higher. You also see there that I've done a third um, uh, run, which is essentially 1080p FSR2 quality mode, which is kind of what you would be using this GPU for. And um, I believe it's the quality mode. I'd need to check, but it's 56.2 frames per second there. And, you know, that's for 1080p GPU. That sits well within the VRR window on a 60 hertz display. This is this is really good stuff. So, yeah, I do think they were somewhat conservative, uh, which might have stoked some of the hate in terms of the uh, in terms of the well, specifications. Man, I hate to, yeah. I hate to throw, use that word hate, though. It's more just like people being upset that their systems can't run a game and i understand where really? they're coming from but was that it though but was I, that it i think it was more about no so like there i think i really think it was a very low amount of people being like i have a 1070 and i want to play this game uh, i think a lot of it a lot of the comments i saw a, were yeah, about a very different discussion yeah i think a lot of the comments were about i'm playing at 1080p performance mode on a 3070 which is what uh, it said okay in the, in yeah it was basically saying like one dlss fsr2 our recommendations here and um the concept of what is medium was very insulting as well to to i think a lot of people that read those specs and then commented on it okay so, so that's what i that's what i read it's the age-old problem of uh, they don't like the names of the presets and they get i also saw very, i did actually see so. if we do want to use the word hate i do i did see some thrown around towards the reconstruction people are yeah, that, really but... anti dlss and fsr and i just don't get it uh, because yeah. the, they yeah. they take it's over one of these TAA situations where people are just going to accept it over time simply because guess what guys if you want an inf you know a, a a big leap in fidelity if you want the developers to aim high you've got to understand that it's about quality of pixels not quantity of pixels and and yes um, upscaling techniques are the mitigation strategy to make it work but they look and it's not as if it's a bad looking game right? well i was going to no. say it's like specifically with dlss i think dlss often looks better than the native solution like a native res taa solution because it takes over the taa duties basically and i think it does a better job at creating a more consistent coherent image uh, with yep. really yeah, that's clean edges, especially on very fine detail. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, but uh, Remedy have actually dumped their own TAA that's solution and their own, yeah. and their own upscaling solution. And effectively, you need to use FSR2 as a baseline for upscaling, right? This is very true. And also, um, both. so there was some reporting out there that the game forces you to use DLSS or FSR2. That isn't completely correct in the aspect of is you can always run the native resolution yep, of both. it using DLAA and or FSR2 native AA, which is the new mode for FSR2 that... I think that was a Gamescom thing. Um, but um, so you can always run the game at native resolution. It's just a matter of whether or not it's worth it to run it at that native resolution, given what it's giving you in comparison to other um, graphical features you can tweak. And that's always like the thing. Like, 
obviously adding more pixels is going to somehow increase quality if you if you're comparing baselines of the same AA technique in use. But is it worth it in comparison to having, for example, would you rather have a slightly lower pixel density or would you have reflections not disappearing off on screen? You know, like uh, like turning on SSR versus turning on RT. Like what is more important to you as a player? And the options allow you to do that in this game. And I think people freaking out about the the settings, we'll talk about mesh shaders, whatever, later maybe, but... Um, but at least in regards to what is medium, medium is just an arbitrary word to describe anything. They, for their, for, for whatever Remedy decided, they said medium is actually like a mix of high settings and ultra settings and medium settings. And some of those settings are much more expensive than others, right? So yeah, that's the way it is. I, 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 there's, I don't know what else to say about it, but that, the, as a that result... Is... They kind of handicapping themselves there, though, by calling medium medium, but then using a mix of settings in within the preset because it does it. It's just a wording yeah. thing. It's just a wording thing. Although I do wish yeah. I wish they had gone all the way though and added like a potato mode. It's like the low end, <laughs> which unfortunately, thinking of potatoes, I did see some people testing it, trying to get it to run on Steam Deck, and thus far. I have not seen anyone succeed with this. <laughs> I don't know. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, that, that'd be really hard to get it running on Steam Deck because the game is ridiculously GPU heavy. And I think then it would also start maybe taking away clocks from the CPU at that point. So you might start running into other issues. It's really, with those power constrained devices, it's really hard to throw ridiculously heavy content at them and get really uh, good performance everywhere across the entire experience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, there is an extra wrinkle. I mean, we'll talk about the mesh shader thing because I do think it is worth discussion, Alex, because, um, well, fundamentally, um, we've kind of realized that there is a day of reckoning upon us where older GPUs are not going to be able to effectively run new games. But I'm not sure anybody ever predicted that it would be mesh shaders that would be the defining factor that separates one generation of GPUs from the the prior one. I actually did some testing for you, and it's mm -hmm. uh, with 1080 Ti, 5700 XT, and I put the 2080 in there as well. The 2080 seems to, I think, generally underperform based on what it should be doing, possibly, but it does have the mesh shaders, and it annihilates the 1080 Ti. 5700 XT seems to be, well, it's, it's still obviously not running anywhere near as well as a PS5, but, you know, it seems to be doing a bit better. Uh, one thing I did want to test, though, and I actually did this just before the Direct and uh, shared with you some results, yes, Alex. The 1660 Ti, which is this kind of weird Turing card that didn't have RT or um, uh, tensor cores, it does have mesh shading. And um, you can, in that again, that foliage-heavy sequence it averaged 42.94 FPS, 1080p FSR2 quali uh, quality mode, but running on PS5s, um, performance mode presets, which is effectively uh, as low as they go across the board. You know, it's still, it's perfectly playable on this right. really old GPU. It's just because the mesh shading part of it is in there, uh, which I found quite interesting. But again, it's it's still massively outperforming what, um, uh, it is still massively outperforming um, what Remedy is saying a 6600 could do 7, 720p 30. So wait, Rich, I, I I, maybe I blanked and missed it, but if you try to run this on a card without mesh shading support, 
what happens. It does run. It does, it does run, run, but it's very, very poorly yeah, usually. Just, it's, yeah, basically the 5700 XT seemed to be about, I'd say, sort of 50% of where you would expect it to be. And the 1080 Ti, which should be faster, I think, yes, than the 5700 XT. Yeah. Uh, it's just really, really running okay, bad. Okay. There's some really weird stuff going on. You go into the mind place and it drops down to like 12 frames per second, 12 to 15 frames per second. There's some weird stuff oh, going man. on with Pascal. Pascal's really not doing well. <laughs> so I'm actually curious because I know the mind place is resident in the memory when you're playing the game. Wait, isn't it the mind palace? I, I think that's uh, Sherlock Holmes, isn't it? They've, they've, they, yeah, they've tweaked it. They say in the when you first access it, hey, I've done my own version of the Mind okay, Palace. Okay. Yeah. So, so they didn't keep the same name, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, no. um, but I, I'm wondering if it's actually something that's off the map, uh, off the side of the map. And because they don't have uh, the mesh shaders doing the culling anymore, it's just like doing a really bad culling. And you're actually rendering like the entire game alongside of it like behind it you know that's something that could actually happen i could imagine if you're not using mesh shaders um but the 5700 xt holds up fairly well on that so yeah it it, it is a weird thing mm -hmm. for sure but basically you know when they say when the when that little error pops up saying uh you don't have mesh shaders this is generally a bad thing (laughs) um but you know if you do have mesh shaders and i include the uh, 1660 ti in there 1660 super any of those old Turing cards without the RT cores, you should be kind of able to get something fairly decent out of it, I think, you know, bearing in mind that this is a really GPU-heavy game. But yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Um, Do you want to say anything more about mesh shaders, Alex? It is a bit weird that it would be mesh shaders that are that kind of dividing factor. <laughs> I didn't expect that to come first before an RT game just blowing everyone right. out of the water. Um but it is so fundamental to the, like the drawing of the game's yeah. rendering. Like it, it's just it's like how do we do geometry? Do we use the old system which has existed since DirectX 9 uh, with some modifications in DX10 and 11 or do we use something that is entirely programmable and very different and gives us more control and potentially quite a bit better performance. Um and they made that leap. A lot of other devs haven't. Um, another engine that has technically made the leap but offers a vertex-based, uh, uh, they, they have a fallback that is semi-performant, is Unreal Engine 5. Unreal Engine 5 actually uses mesh shaders too for the triangles yep. that are bigger than, like, I forget how many pixels. Um, but this is the first time we've seen a game actually do this in a while, and I'm very happy to see it. Like, I, I don't get teary-eyed when a seven-year-old GPU can't run the game. I just don't anymore. Um, the 5700 XT is an interesting one. Rich pointed out the fact that its performance is semi-okay, um, all, all things considered. But, yeah, I mean, lit- back when that... Literally semi. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's half. It's like half. <laughs> yes, semi. Um, but uh, that one is one where back when that GPU came out, I think there was enough press at the time that said it doesn't have a lot of features that the competition has. And that was actually part of the review process back then. And there was an asterisk, I think, on the review saying, like, you won't be able to use these things eventually. And this is the first time we're seeing it. I don't think every title is going to do this, people. Like, Alan Wake 2 is... It's Remedy a, is... Yeah. It's a special thing. Like, it's going to take a little bit longer before we see mesh shading. It took this long. It took five years after the introduction of mesh shading to get the first title to actually re- really even use it. Like, wow. Like, that's so long in terms of DirectX time. Usually these things are, like, one year 
little less. Um, so it's the first one of hopefully many over time, but I don't think, I think Alan Wake's 2 is going to be special for a bit. And then like maybe two or three years, we might see another title. We'll see. Rich, uh, mm-hmm. remind me here. Uh, did you test the Radeon 7? I think that's the most important one to know. I mean, that <laughs> I that was the same year as it. the 5700 XT, I think. But it's like, it is. I think yeah, it's an older the, the... generation. Or is it? I, I mean, I could. I mean, it's basically a die shrunk Vega. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It is using the Vega architecture. It's GCN. It's, yeah, so it's, it's old. It's real. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I might, in, you know, you, you've piqued my interest. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I mean, it does have 16 gigs of memory, but weirdly enough, it, um, oh, Alan Wake 2 seems to be quite, you know, as long as you turn off ray tracing. It's very memory efficient. Seems to be, right. yeah. yeah, very memory efficient, which I thought is, is quite interesting. Um, yeah, I could give the Radeon 7 a go. <laughs> That's just to see what happens there. I mean, it would be sort of like a faster Vega 64, I guess. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it's just been really interesting to see this dividing line between, you know, GPU generations. And there is the whole question. I mean, there's no doubt that there's still millions of 10 series cards in circulation. But at some point, they're not going to be good enough. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, that's that's the bottom I mean, line. And, you know, it's kind of akin to, you know, you're not going to, if you're sitting there with your PlayStation 4 that you bought in 2016, you're not going to be playing Alan Wake 2 either. No, I, th- um, I think the, the 1080, the 10 series cards have had an exceptionally long life for PC hardware. Up there, I would argue long. with like, I don't know, famous cars like the 8800 GT maybe, or I don't know, there, there's been others along the way that have been like this, but it's a great card that has been very long lasting. The GTX mm-hmm. 970, that, also that, yeah, that, that lasted for a while, that mm-hmm. was a classic. And the 1080, yeah, the 1080 is an amazing yep. card. It's gotten, if it's seven solid years, and it's not over yet, right? Like just because a game like this comes along and doesn't really One work title. on it, doesn't mean that yeah. that's going to be the case going forward for every game, right? It's just, it's starting to show its age, but it's still perfectly usable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, you know, I've, I was kind of, um, yeah, I was intrigued to see the actual PC results that were coming out based on the fact that the recommended specifications were very onerous, you know, yeah. and they did cause some concern. Um, I guess the... the the funny thing is, is that the whole mesh shading thing came out as a kind of PS in a tweet from a Remedy staffer, yeah, as opposed yeah. to being a part right. of the of the whole spec sheet. So um, yeah, that was that was a bit of a, a bolt out of the blue. Actually, <laughs> I think the bottom. Oh, sorry, I think the bottom line though is that you know, um, in terms of scalability, there is scalability here. It is decent, but there is a very much a cutoff point where. You know, unlike many games, there is no potato mode here. Right. You know, if you whack down everything down to low, it's still recognizably Alan Wake 2. It is basically the PlayStation 5 version in performance mode. Right. It looks, you know, with a couple of extra tweaks here and there, but, it, you know, it still looks really, really good. So, yeah, yeah it's sort of six of one, half, half dozen of the other, really, where it is a graphically intensive game. And, you know, maybe some people are hearing, well, you know, 1080p, with upscaling, low settings on a sixteen sixty Ti, it's forty two point nine frames per second. That's pretty low, but it's it's not when you actually see what low settings is. So yeah, I, really interesting. For me, it's like uh, beyond the GPU requirements and all that. I just want to say that the experience of loading this up on PC was one of the most positive I've had in a while. Where right. it just I fired it up, 
It loads super fast. There's no weird stuttering, hitching, anything strange. I mean, I literally just started the game first time. You know, I'm using a high-end card, so I put max settings and decided, let's see what happens. And then I continued to play after that point. I didn't have to restart the game. I didn't have to fiddle with anything. It just worked. No hitching, no weirdness. None of the typical stuff we often see with day one PC releases. The whole thing mm -hmm. just felt like rock solid and awesome, uh, which I think is an impressive feat, especially in 2023, where that cannot be assumed with a new it PC not release. Assumed, no. Um, mm -hmm. I still have yet to try. I mean, you tried the RTX 2080, Rich. <clears throat> I'm going to drop the RTX yeah. 2070 Super in at some point. Maybe it doesn't make it into the video, depending on how much time I want to uh, <laughs> spend before I get it out, because it's almost ready. It's like oh, the video is almost oh. ready. Um, <laughs> but, um, but you know, maybe that could be thrown into the article. But I'm just very curious about how the RTX 2070 Super fares against the PlayStation 5, because we've seen that, depending on the title, it's like up down it's below it it really the, depends the on testing the title, i did right? for you um was before we had finalized console settings right so yeah. um uh, it was on medium settings which is actually quite demanding yeah the the high the high post processing setting people the high post processing setting is super expensive and you probably don't need it just gonna throw that out there it's it's one of the things that drags down performance a whole lot just for like better looking depth of field that's the big difference so it is good. It is good looking depth of field, though. It's it is. Nice. It's it's also it's high. It's full resolution, which it wasn't actually in in control. So there's like a lot of things that are subtly better in Alan Wake Two, oh. other than just geometry and stuff like that. Just like uh, the post processing is higher quality in Alan Wake. The, the other thing to mention yeah. is uh, the ray reconstruction DLSS three point five. Uh, right. We thought it did an amazing job at Gamescom, but I noticed with Cyberpunk when it actually did hit, there is this sense that it, it adds an almost AI upscaled watercolory look to the visuals that I always find right. slightly off-putting. So it has its benefits, but it didn't look as good as I had hoped in practice. But in Alan Wake 2, it works flawlessly where the image just feels rock solid. It doesn't have any of that weirdness. Uh, obviously, it eliminates all the fizzle and, and, and other issues that it's designed to do. And it really showcases that, yeah, maybe the cyberpunk implementation needs a little bit more work to get to yeah, this it's point. Yeah, that's curious, right? I, I'm not really sure what's going on there, but it's definitely noticeable, the difference. Could it be content? I mean, Alan Wake is a, no, fundamentally a, 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 a slower game, right? Yeah, but mm, I, mm, yeah. it's hard to say. I, I, it's hard to say, too, because... I thought about this a bit. I was like, oh, maybe there's less lights in Alan Wake 2 is one thing I thought of too. So there's less noise to yeah. deal with for certain elements. I don't know, but also the model is probably evolving uh, to a little degree and maybe it currently fits some content better than others. It's really hard to tell. I would have to send a, right. a couple of questions over to NVIDIA to get an idea. But since it is a black box, it's pretty yeah. much impossible to know. So mm -hmm. Right. Uh, well, let's round off this discussion with a supporter question. This one from Roel. Hi, DF crew. The recent drama uh, <laughs> surrounding Alan Wake 2 requiring a GPU with mesh shader support made me wonder when we might see other technologies that are currently optional become mandatory. I guess the most obvious one here would be RT. Mm -hmm. So at which point do you think that developers might start to make RT the only option for certain graphical features without non-RT fallbacks? Could Spider-Man 2's inevitable PC port in a year or two require RT, given how it is used across all modes in the PlayStation 5 version? Or do you think Nixus will mm. still be adding some fallbacks for older hardware. Well, um, Alex, and indeed John, I think that Spider-Man 2 already has those fallbacks in PlayStation 5 that is not used. 
technically um, yes reflections yeah yeah they use it for I mean, secondary reflections as we know yeah i mean in in the first version of your review video for spider-man 2 john you actually found a part of the game that was still using cube screen space reflections Yo, oh, cube maps cube maps, cube maps. Yeah. Yeah, but they actually patched it. You had to edit the video. Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> yeah. They, they fixed that in a patch. I had to remove that Sorry, part. <laughs> yeah, th so there, there's definitely still fallbacks in place. The question, I guess, is how they're generated, if it's the same way as it worked before. Because if if they kind of like push that out of the pipeline as of January of this year, uh, one has to wonder how good that fallback system actually would be when right. used across the entire game. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's a fair so, point. Um, yeah, I mean, Alex, uh, Nixis are the masters of fallbacks and uh, <laughs> supporting older hardware, really, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, maybe if they do want to support something like Steam Deck or ROG Ally, um, they would do this and they maybe would um, go in there with some QA and art to fix it up because they've they've gone in there with art before to fix things up. They do it for their 21 by 9 and 32 by whatever modes uh they put in their games you know to clean up um both ui as well as any of the cutscene issues that could appear in these games so they do do art changes for these games nixies they're not just a straight porting studio um and i could almost feasibly see them doing that but at the same time i like i said uh, a couple i think it was a couple df directs ago it's gonna be maybe two years from now it would be interesting if it was actually like a year from now that'd be very interesting mm -hmm. but um i imagine it's still gonna take longer just because this is the way things are and by then we're gonna have so many years of real-time ray tracing existing that i would hope we start seeing some titles just say actually we don't want to spend the QA time doing this. Actually, just use an RT card. I mean, if the consoles can yeah. do it by that point, and they'll be XX so old by then, why can't your PC? No, well, five years old. I would, yeah, yeah. Years time. I would yeah. love it if somebody uh, tried to troll the users with the fallback, and all the fallback textures are just like the <laughs> you didn't say the magic word Jurassic yeah. Park gift, uh, uh, uh. and you just yeah, see that in all the reflections. Just that. It's just that <laughs> yeah. tiled. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, I mean, yeah, that'd be great. I love it, that. It that. That would not go over well, I think. <laughs> go well. Potato oh, mode. I, I think that's all we've really got to say about Alan Wake 2 at the moment, except to say we've got a ton more coverage coming. So uh, look out for that because it's a genuine, I'd say it's a moment mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in gaming technology and we like to savor it. Um, but let's move on to the next news topic. Okay, so this one's quite interesting. Obviously, with the release of the upcoming uh, revision for the PlayStation 5, we've got a really intriguing possibility here, which is to say that you can buy a digital edition PlayStation 5, and then you can upgrade. You can actually slap on an optical drive, and it's happy days. You've now got uh, access to the whole, you know, basically the pantheon of PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 titles in physical form. This is a good thing. However, it turns out that um, once you've actually bought your optical drive upgrade and you've uh, attached it to the unit, there's some sort of online connection required to pair the um the two units together question is why um i'm actually going to get the supporter points and questions out of mm -hmm. the way first before we tackle this uh this one from johnny underscore 5a somehow knew it wouldn't be that easy with the blu-ray drive on ups5 should we be worried for long-term repairability of these looks like it could potentially be another avenue of planned obsolescence authentication servers don't last forever hope you're feeling better rich 
Yeah, I am, thank you. Uh, this one from Ishrak Suban. Not a question so much as a potentially unpopular take. The requirement to have an online connection to activate the detachable Blu-ray drive is a necessary compromise to ensure modders won't be able to bypass any anti-piracy measures that were easily defeated in previous generations. Ah. Uh, I think Xbox 360 was pretty much the, the only optical drive hack that I'm aware of in recent or semi-recent times. But it is a a reasonable point. It is a a vector for potential access to the system and for circumventing (sighs) copy protection. I am going to go to you on this one, John, because uh, obviously you were incensed and not happy when you heard of the news. (laughs) But, you know, is there there a reason slash excuse as to why it needs this online verification? Well, the thing that quickly came to light after this was brought up is that it may be due to a DMCA, uh, basically a a section that they passed that basically says to circumvent a technological measure that effectively controls access to a copyrighted work is illegal. And I think that there may be an issue with uh, basically us law allowing people to tamper with drives that can accept copyrighted work like this, uh, which kind of goes against the whole right to repair thing that we're seeing elsewhere. But it, it seems like basically American law may be the reason for this, which sucks, ah. frankly. And I, if that is indeed the case, then sadly, I don't think that there's much they could do about that. The other theory, and I think this is actually less likely, but maybe the case is that uh, Blu-ray movies and such have like a license cost associated with it, and maybe they only have to pay that cost when you activate the drive. Like it, it could be either of the things or both of those things, but it does seem like there are things in place that would cause this to have to be the case, which I hadn't considered when it was announced, and that is obviously a gigantic bummer especially when it sounds like this the same warning is printed on the box for the model which includes the disk drive which makes me wonder if you actually have to activate it basically if now the ability to activate your ps5 offline is now gone that's what i'm no, we haven't tested that yet right we, we don't have one yet we don't we don't have no. a slim the original no. uh this is a great feature is that you can actually pull it out of the box, set it up and go. You don't have to connect it to the internet at all. It will just work, which is great for the future uh, down the line kind of thing. And as before, if the, if a game requires a certain level of firmware, that game disc will have the firmware on the disc. It seems so, yeah. which is Sony's been doing that since PSP. Wow. So yeah. technically the PS five was still an offline machine, much like the switch, uh, but not like the Xbox. And now it seems like the PlayStation 5 is going to become more like the Xbox and in a very bad way. Uh, so mm. that is unfortunate that it seems like this new model is going to require online connectivity. And of course, there's going to be people saying, oh, but everybody has internet. And it's really not about that. It's yes, it's true, but it's about long-term preservation, which frankly, I don't feel very good about it for these systems, given the potential lifespan issues of the SSD, the whole connectivity online stuff. It does kind of feel like these are systems that will not last. Like, unlike everything behind me here, which I could pull out from like 30 or 40 years ago, and as long, you know, you replace a few capacitors here and there, they still run just fine. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case after this point. I feel like Mm -hmm. this ability to repair and maintain a console long-term will probably end 
in the post PS3 360 era. Those would probably be the last machines that are really easy to keep running. Uh, I guess technically the Switch, aside from the battery issue, I think the Switch should be pretty good long term. Um, and you know, battery stuff that's that plagues every handheld portable thing, right? And there's there are ways around that, and batteries continue to be made and probably will. And maybe there'll be a circumvention for getting around the requirement to have a battery as well. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess my hope here is that whatever Nintendo announces next continues to use carts and does not run into this problem and will remain an offline poss- potentially an offline usable machine from the beginning. Right. Mm-hmm. I think there's a good chance of that, John. And I also think, you know, these recent rumors of digital and physical switches are probably off beam simply because, you know, the cost of a cartridge port is nowhere near as high as the cost of a um, of an optical drive. Right. It's just a question of the extent to which they want control over the ecosystem more than the actual cost of building a system. Um, and, you know, typically Nintendo have been pretty good about that kind of thing. Um, I am sort of slightly concerned about this uh, online connection required to pair the optical drive for the new PlayStation 5. On the flip side, there does seem to be a growing movement to actually champion right to repair. Yes, mm-hmm. um, that is good. Which means, yeah, which means that at some point, I mean, maybe not now, maybe in the future, that, you know, it might even be legislated and right. you know there might need to be some kind of fallback to actually make this possible without a connection or at least a strong commitment to actually in, you know keep those servers going whatever happens which right. i don't have a lot of faith in i'll be honest with you um i don't have a lot you know i don't mind it you know i think it's going to be fine in the next what 10 possibly even 20 years but i'm just reminded you know the last time we talked about this on df direct the guy who got his zx spectrum tape out of the attic yeah, and you know he bought it, he owned it, and decades later he's playing it, and you know that's that's something which is quite valuable, which is in danger. But you know what can I say? Um, I am curious also as to once whether you know once a drive is actually paired with the new PlayStation Five, whether it's a you know you can't unpair it and use it on another uh, machine. I suspect probably, probably not. Probably that'd be interesting. Unless you activate it on the new machine and then it's no longer activated on the old machine. That might that mm, might possibly be the way it works. Huh. Maybe that's something we should be testing, which uh, means I need to buy two PlayStation. Oh my players. god! <laughs> we no. we should def we should test that though. I I think that's something that's important to know. Yeah, absolutely, and we will be testing it. Um, there's rumors that there's going to be uh, units coming early November with uh, Modern Warfare 3. Um, so, yeah, I guess we'll be getting one of those in. And um, let's move on to the next news topic. OK, so this week, um, the Metal Gear Solid Master Collection uh, finally arrived. Uh, obviously, there'd been some contro- controversy surrounding that in the run up to launch, simply because, um, well, you know, when they're talking about PlayStation 2 games running at 1080p on the PlayStation 5 and Switch games running at half the um, uh, half the frame rate of the original PS2 versions. That's slightly problematic. And uh, I don't know what, what we can really say about this except to say, well, our fears have been confirmed. Uh, no review code actually came our way, um, just to, to make clear. So I've actually spent £150 on buying all of the versions of, of this particular thing, only to discover that, yes, our, our worst fears have been con- uh, confirmed. It's um, I think there's two ways to look at this. There's a kind of document of older sort of Metal Gear solid material. And there does seem to be a lot of 
great bonus material in there, but the actual quality of the emulation of the games seems to be really disappointing. Tom's working on this yep. now for content. And, uh, yeah, posting various things in the Slack channel, which just look really, really bad. Yeah. Uh, John, <sighs> do you want to take up the story here? What are your thoughts on this? I mean, it is exactly what I feared, but actually slightly worse, I would say. <laughs> okay. Uh, right. The thing that I was surprised... So, despite their announcements, as I confirmed before from captured footage, it is 720p across the board. It's this, right. Okay. In regards to Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3... Uh, because yeah, and we'll talk about MGS one separately. But MGS two and three, they're they're 720p on all platforms. I believe Bluepoint used MSAA uh, on the 360 PS3 version. Yep, and you can tell because whatever they're doing in the master collection, the image quality is worse. Uh, there is significantly more shimmering and noise to the edges. And looking at straight, like, sort of, like, slanted edges, you can see the coverage is so much worse in the new version. So not only is it still 720p, it's bad 720p, like, compared to the original. Right. Like, it's actually worse. How does That's insane to me that that happens. Uh, furthermore, um, the Switch version, of course, still has... The, it, there, it's all 30 frames per second for this those two games. Uh, somebody was digging, I think, at Metal Gear Solid 2 is actually... I think derived from the shield version, which, which mm. wasn't great anyway, but, but metal gear three is metal gear three isn't. And the, the, the way somebody theorized this is that there was some visual, there was a visual bug in a very specific part of metal gear solid two that showed up in the HD collection. Uh, mm -hmm. but it was fine in the shield version and the switch version shares the same correct rendering of it as the shield version. But so the other consoles don't. The other right? consoles don't. They're broken. It's a very yeah. minor thing, but they have the same flaw as the PS3 360 version, which is fascinating to see. <laughs> uh, but so that's a bummer. Also, I mean, man, it's just so it is just confirmed to be it's just a Unity shell that they built. Uh, I don't know how they ported these things over. It's pretty obvious that they just had Bluepoint's original works and they just kind of reworked them somehow to make them run on the new machines uh, rather than actually doing like a proper update conversion kind of thing. Right. Obviously, unfortunately, Bluepoint was not able to work on this. Uh, I mean, they are Sony owned now, so that, but I still feel like, I don't know, something could have, but I'm sure they're busy with their own projects, right? Going back to this would have been yeah, a ask, I think. Uh, I was thinking, mm -hmm. I don't, I haven't seen the credits yet, and I hope it's not who did it, but I was thinking, what about Hexadrive? That would have been a good choice. Do you remember them? They, yeah, sure. they did, uh, mm -hmm. they were the ones that reported Zone of the Enders 2 to PS3, because Konami released that yeah. very bad collection for Zone of the Enders from High Voltage Software, and then they had Hexadrive go in and patch the game by essentially redoing the entire port and making it much better. And that right. shares similar technology, I believe, as as these other games. So that that would have been an interesting choice for this. And I'm surprised that they didn't take that approach. Uh, um, I mean, yeah, technically for all of these games, the real approach would be to decompile the code yes. if you don't have it and then make it native in every single way. Like if fans can do it reverse engineering a game on the PC with none of the original source code 
for things like Metal Gear Solid or whatever, or any game, Perfect Dark is a recent yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. Like, then that is the real way to do it. That's the real way, and they didn't do <laughs> That's that. That's the real way. Interestingly, yeah. there was a mod to fix the resolution on PC within, like, an hour or something after release. <laughs> Although it does still have some issues with Metal Gear Solid 2 because they didn't... Like, there's a bunch of visual effects that that are essentially rendered within a 1280 by 720 window that blue point went back and actually redid for their original remaster, but they haven't been touched up again, obviously. So what happens on PC, if you run in 4k, you get like a little box up here in the corner with the effect inside that small 720p box. uh, And it doesn't apply to the rest of the screen. So it could probably be patched. I think this could be fixed by the modders. Konami's not going to patch it because you know, it's like that. (laughs) Also, things that occurred to me, and this is not a big deal because it was like this on 360 already, but uh, with the original HD collection, if you played it on PS3, you got the original pressure-sensitive button controls, uh, if you recall, which is... Mm -hmm. So those games were designed to be played on the PS2 with the pressure-sensitive buttons, and there were specific actions like pulling out your weapon. Like I actually think this worked great, but on PS2, you would hold square lightly, not you, you just kind of hold it normally and you pull out your weapon. If you let off of it lightly, it would actually put the weapon away. If you pressed it fierce and then let off, he would actually shoot it. And it ended up feeling really good. Just as like pulling out your gun, aiming, and then either like popping off a shot or letting off. Uh, and mm-hmm. they had to change that. I think it's like clicking in the sticks now to fix that. That's a so, bit awkward. Uh, it is possible. Uh, there's the PC port, which is hilarious. Uh, it has... <laughs> Like, no graphics options, really. It has, like, the most confounding controls. Like, when I saw the control options in this thing, I was immediately reminded of Batman Forever, the DF Retro Let's Play that Audie and I did, where I had to pull out the manual and, like, investigate how to control the game. It looks like that. You're just like, how? Like, I understand it's a gamepad-style game, yes, but come on. You get there has to be some work done to make this play okay on a keyboard and mouse. I it's possible they could have. It is one hundred percent possible. Like, come I mean, on. like oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> so that part is bad. Um, so there's just so many issues there with that. It just it's it's surprising and and feels really lazy. Oh, I that's a, that's probably the first time I would actually use the word lazy to describe something. Right, because I usually yeah. I hate that word in, in regards to game development, and I'm sure there was still some challenges here. But this feels maybe it's more of a budget issue. Maybe Konami just didn't give them the resources to actually do what needed to be done, and they just had to do a quick thing to get it out the door. But so that's still on them for that. Yeah, uh, yeah wow. absolutely. I th- the problem is that you know ultimately these are some of the most important games. Certainly in Konami's library. Yeah, very beloved. And uh, the concept that the concept that they're just not going to treat them with respect is is just simply unacceptable. Call it the master. Collection. I mean, it, you know, yeah, it's, it's just it's just just astonishing. There's nothing masterful about this. I will say though that um, so Metal Gear Solid One, this is in an interesting position. So this one seems to have been done actually by M2, which surprised me. And mm. from what I can tell, the actual core emulation of it is perfectly fine uh and the it it's just it's like kind of a low spec thing where they're simply targeting uh delivering that original experience right there's no real enhancements to it. it's the original experience there's just two flaws well no there's one major flaw is that it's just upscaled to a higher res from the original 240p and it's blurry so it's just like a bilinear upscale i don't Not know whether that's on m2 or if that's actually part of the 
the the wrapper because if you recall maybe you don't when the sonic origins collection came out that was running on christian whitehead and and crew's uh, retro engine right but it was horribly bilinear filtered because of the hedgehog engine shell around it uh the way it presented those frames it treated it like a texture surface and it just like applied filtering to it so it was blurry and ugly even though we know darn well that the actual underlying tech was good and i'm Wondering mm-hmm. if that's the case here with the M2 port where, because they've done PS1 emulation before and it doesn't have this problem in their other versions. Uh, it's just blurry and nasty looking when it should be sharp. But the bigger problem with Metal Gear Solid 1, I think, and if they really wanted to do a true collection, this is what they should have done. Optional um, duck station-like features where essentially they fix the the presentation issues of PlayStation texture perspective correction you could downsample to 240p or not allow a high-res mode as well but downsampling to 240p get a super clean look super anti-aliased you know fix all the texture warping issues it could look really like the art is so good it looks awesome that way uh they could have also if i were doing this if i were working on this collection i would have pushed to have two other things one have a conversion of the pc version of metal gear solid one just 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 for yeah, fun right even though it is inferior i would say it would be neat to see i think but more importantly and this could be tricky because of nintendo's involvement i think uh twin snakes should have been in here whether people like right. it or not doesn't isn't important to me i think i think it's just it's part of metal gear history and I think it needed to be here as well to really complete this. And I really, really think it should have been. But unlike uh, the Blue Point stuff and unlike, you know, emulating PS1, Twin Snakes never got re-released. So they would have had to handle that situation, right? Either port it or emulate GameCube. And that presents Gosh. its own problems. So I'm not surprised they didn't do it. But the whole thing just feels like a cash grab, very cheaply done. And it makes me so sad to see it because they could the potential was off the charts here for something truly definitive if they just done it right and they just clearly didn't allocate the resources and the right teams to it to make that happen mm-hmm. uh, and so frankly i don't recommend buying this and and honestly if you have an xbox just get the hd collection on there instead it looks right. yeah. not only does it have the benefits of the 360 original which is good enough the, with better anti-aliasing, you also get forced 16x anisotropic filtering. Yes. <laughs> so, like, it's just that is better. That's a better version of Metal Gear Solid Two and Three. And then if you're like, but I want to play Metal Gear Solid One, well, guess what? You, you can uh, you can install Duck Station on your, yeah, Xbox on your Xbox through the dev mode. You can uh, I think you can do Dolphin. I know you can do Dolphin on there. You can get that stuff on your Xbox as well, and it's freaking great. Uh, That's awesome. Man. So, you know. I yeah they messed up they dropped the ball it's not good there's also the lack of games on the actual uh, switch cartridge oh um, my gosh yeah oh that's that. yes that's even stupider like it doesn't <laughs> they don't even include the the main games on here it has like metal gear 2 and 1 the msx stuff or something on there but the actual main games they have to be downloaded it's just a hunk what's of the waste point of, of that it's a waste what of plastic waste like you yeah. may as well have made it all digital at that point it's just are those msx waste. games even more than a megabyte like seriously They're very like... very tiny <laughs> so i suspect the thing that's been happening on switch and i hope that they change the cost structure for the cartridges for the next switch is that um 
publishers, obviously, they don't want to spend more on a Switch version than the disc version, right? And if you go over 8 gigabytes on the card size, suddenly your cost to manufacture is way above uh, doing a Blu-ray disc. Right. And mm-hmm. I suspect it's, it's literally just that issue right there where they don't want to spend more than a Blu-ray disc on it. And so they cheap out and take the, the cheapest possible cartridge. And I think that's really unfair to the consumer. Yeah, um, it is basically this whole thing is a spectacular lack of ambition, a spectacular lack of investment, spectacular lack of respect for the franchises that they're, they're returning. Um, it's just astonishing. And it's really actually upsetting because done right, all of these games would look great. So, you know, and we've got examples of that, right? So, you know, for example, uh, Duck Station just shows how to handle a PlayStation 1 game on a more modern system, how to make it look really, really good. I mean, this is, this wouldn't have been unknown to M2, so I'm assuming it must be some kind of um, uh, uh, budget restriction. Yeah, which yeah. Is certainly, we know they could have done better. At, and they have with PS1 games. They've done high-res versions. They've done enhancements. They, they've done this stuff before. Mm-hmm. Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3. I mean, um, the thing... The big takeaway from um, Bluepoint's work is that the quality of the original artwork is such that it it looks great at yeah, higher it resolutions. Does. It's beautiful. So you know the concept that you can't go beyond 720p on the latest generation of hardware or PC is a nonsense. Mm-hmm. So you know it's just a complete disaster from top to bottom. Oh, and, oh! Um, another funny thing. I, if, in some of the games when they would have a voiceover clip where it would identify buttons on the controller to press, like the kernel talking, right, like, right. press this button. I guess they updated that for PS360, I believe. So the Xbox and PlayStation versions have those voiceovers, but on Switch, uh, they just turn off the voices for certain scenes like that. Like they'll be speaking, 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 and suddenly it's just text. And then it goes back to speaking because they didn't want to record. Oh my god! I mean, that's difficult, but still, there's like no actual like proper fallback for that. It just feels really Jeez. bad. I mean, even the <laughs> worst thing you could do is just use AI. I know, and I hate to say like, it, but they should have done. They needed literally. To do they should have just done that. <laughs> it just feels oh so cheap. <laughs> Not really. Yeah. yeah, it really is. It really is a profound disappointment. And, you know, the, again, I would say the fact they didn't really seed review code oh, points out another that thing. Knew it. The, the, oh my God, the European no. version, the disc version, if you buy the European version, the only version of Metal Gear Solid 1 on the disc is the freaking PAL version. And all the other oh, versions no. need to be downloaded as language packs, which means it plays at 50 hertz. It's 50 hertz within a 60 hertz container. So it sucks. That's awful. <laughs> So bad. I mean, not that uh, I shouldn't even be upset because I'm not going to buy this. this is, but <laughs> it's not it's not good enough to warrant that. But like, still, come on, guys, come on. What are you doing? It is awful. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll have content on that, and you can see the full glory of these titles in due course. Um, but yeah, I think the the PSA right now is uh, if you really like Metal Gear Solid, and even if you don't, there's no real reason to buy this. Um, right. So let's move on to the next news topic. <laughs> Uh, We're going to stay on all matters related to Metal Gear Solid because at the recent Xbox showcase, there was our first uh, more in-depth look, uh, quote-unquote in-engine look, which basically means anything at this point, (laughs) um, at Metal Gear Solid 3 Delta. 
Um, and we got this question from very professional Dodo. With the release of the latest quote-unquote in-engine trailer for Metal Gear Solid Delta Snake Eater, I was immediately struck by the sameness of the graphics. Looking back at the original MGS3, it's clear that the game had a visual identity that made it almost immediately recognisable. The remaster looks a bit like a run-of-a-mill UE5 title, albeit a pretty one. Do you think the shift for UE5 in the AAA space will generate visually similar results? with studios pursuing photorealism at all costs using Nanite and Lumen? Or do you believe there will be a push for a bolder art direction to differentiate from the crowd? Um, John, I'm going to come to you first on this one, but I guess my takeaway from that trailer was that it looked like uh, the original game, but with a Lumen and Nanite wrapper. And there was, there was some severe discontinuities there in terms of the quality of the visuals and, say, the way the animation basically seemed to look a bit weird. I don't know what yeah. you think about that. Well, uh, there was something odd about it, for sure. Yeah, before even commenting on that, I do want to note that this push towards realism doesn't have to mean you sacrifice style. And I think Alan Wake 2 that we talked about, perfect example, this, this game is super stylized and gorgeous art direction, but it's obviously going for extreme realism as well it can be done right it's not it's this just being unreal engine 5 and pushing these new technologies doesn't mean you have to sacrifice that aspect of the visuals Ooh, easily this yeah. here is a weird one because on the face of it like the detail levels and everything it actually looks pretty good uh yeah but and i don't know man this is a t i don't know how you would do this right this is a tough one i to have do. an idea it's, but okay <laughs> Okay, well, everyone just like the original game's really yellow, yeah. right? You could just post-process it to make it more yellow. If they wanted mm. to to get that yellow, you could change the sky color to be more yellow, so Lumen just propagates that yellow in the scene anyway. I think there's ways to do it. Like yeah. right now, the the sky color is blue, so all the shadows start getting a bit blue. Um, you know, actually. I think I think it is literally, this could be color graded to look a lot more like the original with everything that we're seeing right here. I, I, I'm, I mean, I, I also like the look of that original game. It is very, but it is very of the era. Like, don't forget there was like, sure. I'm sorry, Oliver. Let me hit the button. The pit filter era. Like, like the original game <laughs> is good looking and, but it also is like very, you know, color corrected and like. The yellow to, fog and to distance, be fair it's know? not always yellow though right like, yeah i know but like that's when people point out the differences right. it's mainly about color tone and that's the so, thing that game has know. each section of that game has its own very specific color tone and it follows right. that throughout the game to give it a unique look and i think your it's point about the lighting with lumen yeah. is really interesting because it reminds me actually of quake 2 rtx where it's really neat to choose the earth style sky with the blue sky and everything and it looks awesome but it also doesn't really look like Quake 2 anymore, right? It completely right. changes yeah. the tone, yeah. which is why they provide that original strong-colored sky, <laughs> which in, which works with the path tracing in that case to create a much more accurate and realistic, or sorry, l less realistic, but more accurate to the original game kind of look. And I think that's very yeah. possible here as well. I but uh, there's just, um, man, whenever they show the close-ups of Snake's model, uh, it just something about the way the models look seems off. I don't know. It's just everything about it. It feel it does feel kind of tech demo-y in a weird way, and yeah. it's lacking, lacking something. Oh, man, it's it's almost hard to put into words. But like when you see the original and you see this, you can see what they're going for. But it just feels this feels 
I'm going to say it. This has hire this man Nintendo energy all over it. You yeah. know, where it's like you put Mario in like a realistic field and running around kind of thing. <laughs> like it's that that kind of feel a little bit like that. Like it's better than that, but it's still that's kind of what is it reminds Is it though? It, it is because like it do, it does look like one of those. It, it's very reminiscent of of taking Mario and putting him in an Unreal Engine demo. <laughs> that's that's it, you know there are some bits that look pretty good i think but ultimately yeah. it just looks weird there's some, there's there's a visual discontinuity between the way it looks and the way it moves in my opinion I, uh, maybe it's maybe it's simply because the fact that you know it, it's got to play like the original or maybe it doesn't we don't why. know yet if, but, but does yeah. it yes. we don't know that i yet. mean one of the things about the original games, depending upon, I mean, there's some analog movement there, but also Snake's pretty nimble. He can turn really quickly, and that would look really awkward, I think, with modern visuals, like some of the turning animations. That's and like, the thing. Metal Gear, those Metal Gear games yeah. have very, I would say, granular animation, actually. There's a lot of movements in there, but it's designed to be very gamey as well, so things are very snappy and quick, and that helps it feel great, and it looked it looked good within the stylistic like visuals of that era but i think when you mm-hmm. translate that to like more photorealism it starts to look strange and i don't think they're necessarily right. doing the exact same animations here either but I it does so it does kind of have that feel it's, it's a weird mismatch and i think mm-hmm. this is just mm-hmm. you know what i'm still interested in playing it and i'm curious about what they're doing and i would say that whoever's working on this has been given an unbelievably difficult job like, I don't think there's any world where you make this and everyone is happy. Uh, I think this is just, this is, it's one of the most beloved games of all time, I'd say. People love Metal Gear Solid 3. I love Metal Gear Solid 3. Trying to remake this stuff, it's so hard. It's so hard. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I'm still, I still hope that it comes away a little bit. It almost reminds me of, in a different way, you know, when Blue Point remade Shadow of the Colossus and Demon Souls, there were people that weren't happy with the art direction. And I would say I actually really liked what they did with the art direction in those games. I think it looks pretty good. I don't think this is on that level yet, but you're always going to have people that aren't happy with those choices made. But I think if they, there are still things they could do here to make this look a little bit more authentic if you will. Yeah. And I hope they find a way to make that happen. The problem, I think, is that you've got to reestablish a relationship with the gamer, right? When you produce something like this. The way to do that was to do the master collection right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, basically with what they've done with the master collection, which is basically the barest minimum way to get these games running on a modern platform, it basically sours you know, the whole enterprise right from the off. It lowers expectations for the new game. And obviously there's things here that do look really, really impressive, right? But based on the the way they've handled the franchise in bringing it back, it basically just sets expectations at the lowest possible level. And um, yeah, it's just really disappointing that, that, you know, what that basically has meant is that we can't really look forward to what this whatever this turns out to be simply because you know with their first example of how they've you know tried to bring the franchise to modern systems it's it's fallen flat on its face it's 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 a disaster Mm. but you know i guess you just have to wait and see how the game uh, uh sort of pans out 
it really did grind my gears. I think, you know, we need to bring an end to in-engine trailers at this point. It just really irks me. Yeah. Maybe it's the Forza Motorsport experience. Maybe that Ugh. was the straw that broke the camel's back. But, you know, show us the game, for God's sake. Yeah, it's, it's show just someone getting playing me. it. Yeah, my God. Yes, just show us the game. Don't make up stuff if you can't deliver. Maybe you can deliver with this. but And I, I do think it's... I think it's okay to show stuff that's very work in progress as well. Please I, do. I do think yeah. the audience, I don't think they give people enough credit on that stuff. And I, I think especially if you go from something that looks a little bit rough initially, and then it gets better as it goes on, that actually gets picked up in a positive way where people are like, Oh, they actually, they enhanced it. They made it better. And by the time it releases, you know, there's excitement around that. Versus the opposite, where you show something that looks outstanding and then it releases and it looks worse. That never goes over well. Mm. But it's it's tricky because you need to get the marketing going. And maybe there's just an argument that this stuff shouldn't be shown until it's much closer to being ready and finished. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> mm. In the meantime, let's move on to our final news topic. Uh, so, yeah, last week, basically, CitizenCon returned, mm -hmm. and um, there was a big oh, bunch of amazing-looking new technologies announced. Um, the announcement that uh, it looks as though, is it Squadron 40, 42 appears to be content complete? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, Alex, this is basically your bag. Oh, yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of stuff you wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, are you excited? I, what are you excited I'm about? I'm excited for, um, well, the first thing, too, is because <clears throat> I backed the game in 2012 um back when it was just actually I, I don't think i even did the kickstarter i think i did the they did like their original website back then um and back then it was actually just squadron 42 more or less the original announcement trailer was like cry engine stuff a lot of it is like assets actually from the original crisis if you look um but like them announcing a new wing commander and i like wing commander i've got wing commander three and four on the shelf behind me right um and I like those games, and I was very excited for that. So them showing Squadron 42 now, and it looking kind of like a Wing Commander game, except with, you know, like, on foot and stealth. Uh, so it's not just flying, you know. It's also got, like, like the Wing Commander games, there's, like, downtime in your ship. It's, you know, interacting with the crew, very Mass Effect-like. I think that's all great stuff, so I was very excited to see that. Uh, and that means uh, content complete means the game's it's a matter of time. Polishing phase and uh, optimization st stage is what we're at right now. And obviously that's different for each game. I think Starfield had a year of that, um, if I recall. So who at knows least. how long um, they, uh, they'll do it for Squadron, but uh, it's coming out and people can play it at some point in time. And I imagine they'll probably shop Squadron around to like Xbox and PlayStation uh, because... It's not the massively multiplayer online thing. It's a single-player campaign. You can optimize that in a lot easier way Yeah. Uh, to get that running on console. So that's great. Um, should. For the Star Citizen update, they had a number of panels talking about how they're advancing the game. To make Star Citizen requires making entirely new technology that just doesn't exist. So that's why it's always been interesting. That's also why it takes so long, all these other things. It's like it's like a stupid ambition. It's like this most stupidly ambitious thing ever. No one should ever want to try and make this. And it's like literally the weird crowdfunding model that Star Citizen has is like, that's why the only reason why it exists. It's so bananas. Um, but they showed off finally that like, holy crap, they're actually making ridiculous progress now. And actually uh, like 
the biggest thing that is the least flashy is they showed off a demo of server meshing. And so uh, right now, if you load up Star Citizen, uh, is the alpha version of it, you'll just be stuck in a server, I think with like, I think a max of 150 people or something like that. And it takes place in one system. And one server is doing all the simulation for that one system with like, and they had like a really great slide of this. It's like millions of entities that are updated per frame. The server's like destroyed essentially when you try and play over a long period of time. So the idea is to make it so that more people can play on one server. So it's actually an MMO and not just like a big battlefields 2042 server. Um, is that you need to split up the rent the the simulation workload across multiple servers well to do that is ridiculously complex and they showed off a demo of how it works and it's very fascinating actually essentially like there's a server that is called the replication layer that every single client connects to and also all the simulation servers connect to and they share across this like web uh different responsibilities for a simulation and when you cross zones in the world as they showed in this demo, different servers will hand off who's doing the simulation. But since they're all connected to the replication server, they can visually show things on screen that are being simulated in different servers. And it's fascinating to see. Um, and it's the first time this has ever been done in a game, to my knowledge. Uh, most MMOs do like shards and stuff like that, which is very different. Uh, so this is like the thing that makes Star Citizen actually work as an MMO, and they actually have it working now. So it's a matter of bringing that to the wider course of the game. And I hope in a, a year I can report back for the first time, like I said, back in 2020, I'm going to report on this game again when they add in server meshing. I hope I get to do that at the end of 2024 at some point. Um, <laughs> that would be That's nice. That's a very uh, open target you've got there. Ah, it's a Chris Roberts target. What can I say? Um, so, and then the rest of the presentation was all really cool stuff because it's stuff we don't see usually in games, like games like, yeah, Alan Wake 2, awesome looking game. Uh, Control had a lot of physics in it. That's interesting. Um, but a lot of games are like very static, not very simulation driven. And it's a, that was like a stylistic thing uh, that happened at the end of like the Xbox 360 generation that games went from being less sim heavy to being more, I don't know how to say it, like less so, hey, and weirdly generally. enough, that's exactly what the Zelda recent Zelda games offer. They're much right. more they're, sim like. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're they're like imsims yeah. with physics in like exactly. an open world context. It's very interesting. Um, and this is the, a lot of the demonstrations that they showed off were like saying like actually Star Citizen is going to do all these things that you saw like in the original Crisis and more. And they had a really awesome uh, water uh, physics demo that they showed off that is very very cool. It's like a like a virtual textured base version of water. So you can get like super high detailed wave cresting and foam up close to the camera, as well as like massive stuff in the distance. That, that demo they showed with the rocks where they're like putting increasingly large objects and moving them around <laughs> in the mouse and like creating waves upon waves and ripples upon ripples and all the foaming is happening and everything's just, I was like, wow, okay. right. I've never seen cool, that man. before in a game. That's super cool. And then yeah, and it, they got the stuff where it's like if a ship flies close to the water, it actually causes the water to behave as you'd expect, you know, buzzing the surface, it, yeah. right? It creates a wake behind it, causes waves and ripples as it passes. That stuff's amazing. Yeah. So stuff like that, that's stuff that's kind of required for like if you have like a giant planet that has like oceans on it. Otherwise, the game just looks like a weird, you know, like a facsimile of real life and it just doesn't interact. So it's like these are all things to like live up to that whole living and breathable world. But the one thing that I think it was most interesting in terms of these graphical demos, there was a lot. They showed off like RTGI. They showed off 
new hair rendering. They showed off star tons cl- of other stuff. Star cloth. Yeah, that's actually the, really cool the too. Soccer ball uh, up, up the uh, the dude's the like hospital the, gown. <laughs> there was a lot of giggling, to say the least, in the audience when the soccer ball peeped out of the man's gown. Um, <laughs> but um, they showed off a physicalized damage system, which I think was really cool because um, uh, it's kind of hard to say. Like a lot of games, obviously, you you shoot an object and it breaks apart into pre-configured pieces, right? And that's usually how it's done. And this is a bit more like a DMM back from, uh, my God, uh, The Force Unleashed, where like an object has physical constraints and break, uh, and it breaks upon physical constraints uh, and like with inertia and all these other things. And in the demo, they showed off for like a couple of things. But the entire reason why that's really cool is because you can finally do some really interesting things with ships in the game that you otherwise couldn't do before. Like beforehand, like a ship would have a death state. Uh, and it's like very much so based upon health that it's just some arbitrary health value for different sections of the ship, et cetera. But if it's actually based upon physical constraints, well, you can have things like part of the ship breaking off while the rest of the ship is still working. And these are things that are like, you know, like the entire dream of Star Citizen is all about like really cool interactivity and like a multi-crew environment. It's very fun stuff like that. So I thought I would take the time to talk about it right here. I would love to have done a dedicated video on it, but Alan Wake 2 came out. Um, so I'm definitely doing Alan Wake 2 right now. But I'm going to report on the game again. Like I said, I think when server meshing is in, and maybe do like a Do You Have to Rex segment on again if they add in Vulcan very soon. Because that's going to okay, be coming we'll, out. We've been waiting soon. years for Vulcan. Yeah, they, like they said in the presentation, this is taking longer than we wanted. <laughs> uh, well, but they actually showed off Vulcan running too, so that's another good thing. Um, okay. Yeah. So, Alex, if I bought a spaceship off you, would you do a video on this game? <laughs> bought a spaceship off of me? <laughs> I don't, uh, uh, that seems to be the funding model. For, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want to buy a content? JPEG of a spaceship? Actually, um, Alex, is there a way... I would love to. I still want to do this video with you. I would like to go into a game with you, and where be, we putz around. Where we putz. Basically, I want I want to be the Star Citizen newbie who doesn't know much about this game, and I want you, the master, to take me on a journey to show the me what's master. cool about Star Star Citizen uh, together. Right? I actually think this would be I, a fun video, and we should try to do this. We should probably, when the new year starts, uh, yeah, as I exactly. described earlier, there's going to be a lull period where there's less releases, and let's hope that it stays that way, because then we can have some fun videos like that. Because that and would be I cool, because yeah. I think I could represent what most of the audience is thinking about this, like, like well, going into it not, know, not knowing much about this and wanting to learn more. Yeah, it leads us into this uh, this question from uh, unnamed player who's added some random numbers mm. into his username mm-hmm. there. Uh, hi DF team exclamation point. Does it make sense to just start playing Star Citizen? I was always impressed by the idea and scope, but after many years, I can imagine uh, it can be as hard as joining a Quake Three server now with only hardcore players annihilating others for over twenty years. Or is it somehow accessible to new players? Um, there's a lot of good stories about this. Um, if you do not announce yourself and you spawn at some location, like, I don't know, it used to be Port Olisar, um, but like if you'd spawn there and you'd leave the safety zone, there would just be pirates there that would just kill you immediately. Oops. This is awful, awful. That's a bad thing to do. But if you type into alt chat, if you if you really do want to try it, they have like free weekends every once in a while where you can play for the whole weekend. I'd say wait to do that and expect bugs and all that crap. Um, but if you do do that, Type into the alt chat of the server. I think it's like F12. And just type, I'm a newbie. Can someone help me out? And I'm serious. 
people will literally come and tell you how to play the game. It's very cool. Um, they obviously have a new onboarding system in terms of like you spawn at a place and it teaches you how to play the game as you after you spawn in, which is nice. Uh, it used to be very much so like you started a spaceport and you have no idea what you're supposed to do. Um, but nowadays it's a bit more streamlined. So I think you should just try it on a free weekend whenever they do the next one. I have no idea when that is. Okay. Hmm? Sounds good. Sure. Well, you know, this is one of these games that, you know, whenever we produce a video about it, we get like 250,000 views minimum. And I think it's one of these things where it's a, a weird one, right? Because, you know, there's very little faith in people that I speak to that the game's actually ever going to be in a complete state. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they just keep aiming, literally aiming for the stars and trying to do better and better. And, you know, what they're the, the the scope of what they're attempting now is far in excess of what they ever promised to begin with. Mm -hmm. I guess at some point we'd like to see some kind of end product, and I guess Squadron Forty Two actually appearing would be a good thing, right? <laughs> that would be the good one. I mean, that would it also would like show people like what Star Citizens like. It's going to be very different. Obviously, it's a single yeah. player game, but it would also be like, oh, you get on a ship, you fly to a planet, you get off the ship on the planet. It's like you know, gameplay loops that you don't see. Like Starfield, obviously, very different game entirely, but like, I don't think a lot that. of people see games where you just like start in one discrete location and go to one very far away. I guess actually I'm like, curious about that. Scale. One of the things with Starfield, for better or for worse, is that even though it's a big game, it felt very small because of all the loading screens and the fast travel. It, right. felt, it felt like you just warp in between planets as if you're just going to a, around the corner. Uh, so it kind of yeah. took the the feeling of space out of it. And I'm wondering in star citizen, how that works. Like, right. Can you just oh, and bounce around to different places freely like that? Or does it actually require yeah. you to engage in real space travel? Um, so, uh, star citizen, not squadron, right? Oh, okay. So star citizen, you have like a normal flying mode, okay. which is <clears throat> very sublight. It's meant for dog fighting. It's like, I think it tops out at like one, like one kilometer a second. Which is obviously still very fast. Yeah. But it's not, it's nothing in terms of like, it's not like quarter impulse or no, something like no, no, that. No. Quarter impulse in the game exists as a quantum drive that you engage and it does move you through space at that speed. Uh, last time I played, it was a beeline to wherever you set on your map. And it would take as long as it would take to get there at whatever the quarter of the speed of light is. Um, so it could take quite a long time to go across an entire solar system that way. And the game does let you do that. But while you're doing that, obviously, you can get out of your seat of your ship and do anything in your multi-crew ship environment. Or you could literally, like I've done it sometimes, where I open the back of the ship and I jump out of the ship while the ship's going, like, quarter the speed of light. And I'm just, like, left floating in dead space. Uh, you know, it's a, uh, yeah, you can just, in Catharsis, and you can just go anywhere you want, really. It's kind of interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think that's the end of our news section for this week, uh, but it was certainly packed. Um, let's move on now to support a Q&A, which is, as always, I mean, every week I put up a call for questions on our Patreon, always get like 50, 60 responses, amazing stuff in there, I guaranteed. It. I think we possibly for Christmas we'll need to do a Q&A special since there won't be a, a direct no, that's Christmas. A good one. Mm -hmm. um, but let's start off with this one from Dirk Hodderin. Um, in light of news that Alan Wake 2 won't support Pascal GPUs, perhaps it's time for a eulogy for Pascal and the GTX 1080 slash TI. I suspect he means the TI. The little GPU that could. It's actually a pretty it's big massive GPU. GPU. It's <laughs> massive GPU. 
But at the same time, uh, I did get where he's coming from because there are certain GPUs that do somehow manage to, you know, uh, remain relevant years beyond their sort of projected uh, sort of lifespan. And the 1080 Ti, well, until Alan Wake came along, you know, it, it did offer sort of broadly equivalent rasterization performance to uh, to a console. You know, it falls a bit short in some titles. I kind of really like this idea of going back and looking at classic GPUs, but um, I've seen other sites do them. And typically um, it's it's kind of fan service in a way, validation for people that have bought these GPUs. But I think there's also maybe the, the concept that, um, hey, you can buy this GPU now and it will still be great. Mm-hmm. And I think if you actually sort of went through a big bunch of titles, the latest games, and, and actually tried the 1080 Ti on it, you, you'd be struggling oh, at even 1080p60, right? Yeah. And yeah, I, I do kind of like the idea, and I think it's quite easy content to do, because if you actually benchmark the GPU for you know a graphics card review, you've got the bones of a story that you can tell there. The issue being that I think when you actually take these products into gameplay, um, it doesn't really often reflect uh, the kind of impression that you get from the benchmarks. I don't know. What do you think about this, Alex? Um, this is a hard one, actually, because I, I think a retrospective video to a certain degree, a send-off video for this generation of GPU could literally start with like this the, the games that it uh, showed off really well. Like I think you yeah. originally did a 4K video about the witcher didn't you unlike the gtx 1080 ti back in the day uh i can't remember but you know we looked at basically when FreeSync came to right that's uh, what it was nvidia cards yeah i mean we tried a whole bunch of games there and it was really good yeah that was it was a fantastic advert for 4k gaming uh, which you couldn't really i mean it's the first card that i guess the 1080 got there as well but the 1080 ti you know had proper use cases for 4k display it was it was a really great product it was really cool for that and i I think it would be kind of interesting to chart that like oh witcher 3 you could play at high settings at 4k and get a great experience but now take the witcher 3 enhanced edition or something like that or take cyberpunk (laughs) and be like actually this is how graphics get better you can see the lit you know like they're trading pixel quality i think it would be an interesting thing to say like graphics get better you could take this old this Graphics gpu that used better. to be a 4k gpu and now it's a 1080 gpu or it's a don't yeah, play well, the it game is a 1080 yeah, it's a 1080 I'm so yeah alan wake is a bit a bit problematic <laughs> with the 1080 ti um but yeah i mean i i kind of enjoy this concept of revisiting truly great hardware i've done it before I, I think it with is... the geforce and with the uh, 3dfx cards right yeah. that's going yeah. way back Retro. obviously but still yeah, I mean, you do end up with this sort of double-edged sword, though, because people do want to see the latest yeah. titles running on it. Right. And uh, sometimes they hold, you know, the card holds up better than expected over time. I think I've seen some coverage on, like, for example, the 5700 XT, uh, which is dirt cheap to buy now used. And, uh, you know, it, it does a job. But at mm-hmm. the same time, you know, we to produce this kind of content in a transitional period... You've got to be really careful right. in saying, hey, this still has a role to play today. Where, where's my Fury X video, Rich? That's what I'm waiting for. Fury X video. <laughs> you mean the overclocker's dream? Yes. Uh, which I couldn't overclock by 50 megahertz without it crashing. Yes. Actually, real wow. quick, I want to, looking at this question, it did get me to think about something, right? Because right. 
it's a, it's it's you, Alex. You are the key here. I'll okay. tell you why. Because you basically started working for us and really became big in the scene right when they announced the RTX line of cards. Yeah, that's right. right? That's very the, interesting. You joined us around the origins of ray tracing. So there's kind of like a before Alex period and an after Alex period. And the the, this, the point where BA. it shifted is, in fact, related to ray tracing. So it's incredible, actually. Uh, basically... I would like to refer to these GPUs going forward as the before Alex era or the after Alex era. <laughs> the BA and AA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The BA and AA. Okay. Let's do it from now on. So there we go. Fair enough. Thanks, John. Yeah, I think there is a role for this kind of content. Um, but again, you know, it's it's there is the kind of thing that, you know, as I've, as I've said, you know, we are in this transitional period where this hardware is really going to start to struggle now. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it is it is fun to see some occasional sort of uh, things that you can do with the 1080 Ti. I mean, back in the day, I, I did a bit of bonus material for patrons where I just played Control at, um, uh, with ray tracing on a 1080 Ti. Yeah. And, you know, it, it works. It's 30 frames per second, 1080p, but it works. And it's just kind of one of those weird things that, that happened where they actually right. introduced a software path for RT for the Pascal cards. And it's fun, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just kind of like, you know, it does show the limits, yeah. so to speak. I'm reminding of ran random gaming and HD videos of like, you know, like some really old Intel CPU versus a newer one of the same class and seeing like how much Gen yeah. Gen's going there. One thing I've always kind of wanted to do is take the original was a Core i7 980, which is a six core, 12 thread CPU from yeah. when was that? 2008? I don't know. Um, and I'm curious what, if you plug that into Windows 10, obviously there's some SSE2 games, I think, or was AVX games that won't run on it, but a lot of games will. And like, what does a six core, 12 thread CPU from that era do in games now that are actually coded for it? Like six yeah. what is that what even happens mm. there mm. yeah and there's also a, a big thing about um uh the xeons that you can buy for nothing now right i think there was a video i saw i'm not sure if it was random uh, gaming in hd but it was like 16 cores for 16 dollars <laughs> oh, that's awesome <laughs> which, which is a which is a fantastic headline <laughs> yeah i mean man this is just the sort of thing where you know if we had time we'd do it but i don't right now I have to have a think about it. Let's move on to the next question. Uh, a quick one, this one from Gore Guts. Any thoughts on Intel's 14th gen, specifically with regards to APO? Will you be, will you be updating your test PC CPU to 14900K? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, um, Will did a review for the uh, 14th generation Intel, and it's basically a kind of placeholder, uh, I would I would suspect. You know, basically the 14900K is a 13900KS. Uh, it's just basically they've um, upped uh, co uh, core clocks on a lot of products. Uh, the i7 is slightly more interesting. interesting. They added more e-cores. Um, with regards to APO that Gorguts is talking about here, it's basically an extension of um, the thread director that came in with Alder Lake, which basically, um, I don't know what to make of this because the cynic in me just thinks that it's just turning off E cores right. and and P cores when they're not required. If you looked at Alex's content recently, where he uses a twelve nine hundred K to see how a game engine utilizes all of these cores and threads, you'll see that there can be degradation in performance when you actually use all of the facilities of this CPU. 
the cynic in me suggests that all that APO is doing is basically looking to see whether a game uses all of the cores and threads. And if it doesn't, just basically blocks them off to the application, which will give you a performance uplift in, you know, there's talk of, of like 10, 20% on some games. Um, but why aren't they deploying this to Alder Lake and Raptor Lake? Why is it 14th gen only? Uh, right. Surely it, sh it should apply to everything because they're fundamentally based on very similar architectures. And in the case of 3900K, it's basically the same chip. It is literally the same chip almost, right? <laughs> <So> yeah. Like... <laughs> Will we be updating our test PC CPU to 14900K? Probably not. Um, no. I think we will. I think AMD actually, I've just got an email hot in here, Alex. They're going to be sending you a 7800X, yeah, I which I think is going to be great. I got it. I got it. Let's just say I got a phone call while we were talking earlier, which distracted me. I couldn't pick it up, but I'm pretty sure it was <laughs> AMD actually. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Joe. I mean, that's the thing, right? I mean, um, typically we put in uh, uh, the, the, the top end gaming chip in your gaming reviews and, you know, we, that is the 7800X3D at the moment. Oh, so yeah, that's for really sure. what we want to move on to, yeah. Mm -hmm. Kudos to AMD there. They're doing some amazing work on CPUs oh, yeah. right now. But that's really all we've got to say about that one. Let's move on to the next question. Actually, it's two questions. I'm going to lump them all together. Right. The first one from Helen X. I was wondering how Horizon 1 and Last of Us 2 could be meaningfully remastered for the PS5 and, and the only... Uh, customer friendly slash not stupid form I could see them taking would be as launch titles for the PS5 Pro with extensive ray tracing. Is this likely to make the base PS5 versions of these masters remasters a side grade at best, considering the performance hit that any RT upgrade would have on these games? Some guy here, hi uh, DF exclamation point. I'll preface this by saying I'm a huge Horizon stan, but I'm surprised that there's no real interest from the team in the rumoured HZD remaster. The original still looks great, but there's a lot of improvement that could be made to the quality of the water and character animations. This could be a good opportunity to experiment with ray tracing in Decima in an environment that's more forgiving than a new game. And it feels like there are ever fewer proprietary engines being used today. Am I being too optimistic? Or could there actually be some interesting enhancements here? Um, I think there's the, basically the, from, from my perspective, there's the philosophical side of things versus the, the points being raised here. The philosophical side of things is that if you've got developers of the caliber of Naughty Dog and, um, and Guerrilla Games, you kind of want them to progress. You want them to move on to new things. You want to see amazing, great new games rather than, you know, taking old ones and, and essentially remastering them, especially when they're relatively recent still. I think that's kind of my point on that. John, what do you think of this concept mm. of basically t making them showcase products for a PS5 Pro? Uh, well, I get the feeling that if these exist, it's probably not the primary teams at Naughty Dog or Gorilla doing the, most of the work, right? Uh, we don't, we would, don't know. Well, you'd, but... you'd expect the engine enhancements to be sure, sure. the core technology. Which could groups. be leveraged for whatever they're doing next, right? Uh, the Last of Us 2 thing, I think, Alex, your comment last week kind of made sense as to why it would happen is if they do a PC version of, of that game, why not also have it on PS5 natively? But Horizon, you know, I think Horizon Zero Dawn, it's a good game, but I don't, I don't really like remasters of open world games usually because I just, I, I don't think that they're worth replaying usually, or I, I don't find it <sighs> exciting to replay. But purely from a visual perspective, 
that's a different matter. And it could be very interesting indeed to see what they would do with these. And yeah, if this showed up alongside the PS5 Pro, I wouldn't be that excited about the games, but I would certainly be curious to see what they do with the technology. Uh, although, the man, The Last of Us Part Two, it's like, it looks so freaking good now as is. Like, I just, I don't see, I don't know. It would be weird to, to go in there and do a remaster thing at this point somehow I feel or like I don't feel like they could make enough progress to drastically change it and so much of what looks good about it I mean if you're gonna say like do ray tracing features in there like I it would be nice but I don't think it would dramatically change the way it looks because all the art and the lighting and everything was designed very specifically to look the way it does and Horizon would obviously mm. be a larger undertaking I think because it is an older game at this point and it would probably, right. I guess, look, I would assume, similar to the sequel, uh, which would be fine. It just, again, it would be a visual showcase, maybe, but I just can't understand the purpose of... It's already 4K60 checkerboard on PS5, right? Yeah, like, I just... Yeah. What do you really need? I just leave that? it Better be. Better image quality, like, maybe? We don't, we like, don't need don't an, to remake that game. Good Lord. Yeah. I'm, they wouldn't do it, but if they got to go back and remake some old stuff, why not like go into the kill zone games again? I don't know. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather see, see Shadowfall. I think Shadowfall, especially, too. even though people are pretty down on it, I think it's a very interesting and a cool game. And it's let down by a few things that I think a remaster could dramatically improve. Uh, but it's more of a crisis style shooter than, say, the other kill zone games were, which were much more Call of Duty like. Yeah, uh, and right. maybe that's part of what people didn't like about it i don't know but i know what you mean i don't know um rtgi i think would be a big deal for decibel and it would be i mean it would be cool it's just well the thing about rtgi for last of us would be a weird one because i mean their baked lighting is very specifically excellent at simulating what you would get with rtgi offline and the game doesn't have dynamic time of day it's it's actually reminds me of Alan Wake Two and the forest areas. Like they are doing pretty amazing baked lighting in that game, and I think you know RTGI would obviously enhance the precision and fix some of the edge case stuff. But I don't think it would be that transformative without them doing major, major work to it, which I yeah, don't it think is to be worth other it. Stuff, I think. There'd, there'd have to be a like, lot more. Maybe texture detail, up the detail on some of the meshes. You know, just like increase the granularity of everything. Maybe. But, yeah, I think mm, RTGI in the case of the Horizon Zero Dawn potential remaster makes more sense. That makes a lot more sense. That that would be that would be fine. Whatever, not an interest. Yeah, and and you could probably slap in the exact same assets and it'd still look generally great, just because the lighting is so 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 much better. I'm just we've already talked about it before. Like the original game, good looking, but like as soon as you go into any of like the places that are just like overhangs or the cities. The lighting quality goes down quite a lot. So, I mean, but it's also like I'd rather see them doing something else with their device. But, I mean, again, we don't know what the main teams are doing. And I I think it's pretty obvious that these things are now being used to fund the, the longer development cycles that it takes to make the big stuff. And this kind of highlights a problem I have with the current state of PlayStation. And actually, it applies to a lot of companies at this point. It's just games have become so complex to make. And there's 
they're relying on too few developers to get it made. And this was a strength of PlayStation in the past as they had a lot of smaller and mid-tier teams as well, creating interesting, fun, often quirky kind of content that would fill in the gaps between these big AAA releases. And now we don't have many releases at all. And then some of them are just like remake stuff now. And it just feels like, like we're in a position where it's becoming well, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have the studio power to do this anymore like they used to. And it just takes so much time to make these big things, like the level of quality they need to reach to actually live up to what people expect. Like that's so much manpower. Like that's why I laugh when I see people arguing about the specs of these consoles. And like, you know, that has so little to do with the way these games end up looking now. Like that's just, that's one of the least important parts I'd say it's everything else that's causing them to take as long as they do. Uh, and yeah, so I just wish there was some smaller stuff in there or at least, you know, some of the creative stuff, like where's uh team Asobi or whatever with, uh, that did Astrobot games, right? Yeah, what's like, we haven't there? seen anything from them and surely they've got to be even something. I mean, I would assume PSVR too, but like Astro, the first Astrobot was one of the greatest platform 3d platform games ever made. I would say mm. these guys are super talented and it's just, it's been silence. So going back to The Last of Us Part 1, do you consider that to be uh, uh, not worth doing? No, so that one in the end, I was kind of pessimistic against that initially, but in the end, I think it worked out pretty well because it brought it up to par with The Last of Us Part 2 and maybe even a little bit beyond, and they, they became like two parts of a whole, right? And it feels consistent when you play them back-to-back. Uh, they both look amazing, Uh Whereas, you know, going back to the original The Last of Us and then to the sequel, they definitely, you know, you can, the age was evident in that original. But now they're on that same level. I don't feel like The Last of Us Part Two really needs that kind of boost, right? It already right. looks good. It already looks great, I would say. But again, I, as you suggested, Alex, I think it is probably more likely just like, hey, they want to bring The Last of Us Part yeah. Two to the PC, which is great. And if you're already doing a PC version, I guess why not just release a native PS5 version as well? That also makes sense. So why not? That, that, that point, whole situation right? probably does make sense, especially with the with the show that had happened. And why not do that? It's just the Horizon one that really sticks with me. It's like it just feels like a I don't want feels like a waste of time. I'm sorry. I feel bad mm-hmm. for anybody working on it, but it's. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to look good if it happens, but man. (laughs) Maybe there's something we just don't know about. Yeah, we'll we'll wait. Let's let's wait and see what it is. That's true. Just Mm -hmm. it's just the premise that I take issue with, but maybe there's something more. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Let's move on to the next question. This one from Garfield. Yes. The Garfield. (laughs) Hi, DFT. (laughs) Yeah, it must be literally the the comics character. Um, Anyway. Garfield says, Hi, DF team. After finally seeing some current-gen-only game releases this year, I was wondering if this generation would continue to be plagued by noisy and ghostly visual quality. If modern games need to upscale from sub-1080p to even reach 30fps, are we sure we really want to move to highly expensive real-time effects at any cost? Cross-gen games actually look and feel much superior at this point compared to slightly accurate but highly noisy and artifact-ridden current-gen-only games? Or do you think this is mostly devs getting used to the new consoles right after the difficulties of developing in a pandemic? 
What are your thoughts on this, Alex? I think from my yeah. perspective, it's, you know, it's kind of like, um, I'm not, hopefully it'll be up by now, but your video on the first generation of Unreal Engine 5 games, it's basically growing pains at this point, right? And it is just yeah. the beginning of the journey, really. And there have been some issues. I mean, I mean even Alan Wake 2 on consoles does have some image quality concerns. Yeah, I'll and, talk about um, them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what do you make of this? I mean, well, if you're going to be... You're eating up to push those next gen visuals, like Garfield says. Um, Garfield, uh, you you're eating up a lot of the compute power just to push those next gen visuals. So you then start pushing back on resolution, and we're fine with that to a certain degree, obviously. Uh, when it does get down to FSR, like I want, I don't want to just say FSR two is a big issue in this, but it is a part of it. Like you have to think about ways to scale that resolution and effects quality and all these other things down to a way to make it a great at. I don't think there's been 30 FPS games that have really big image quality issues. I think probably Alan Wake 2 is um, pretty fine at 30 FPS with its image quality. Obviously, it could be better, but uh, I think it's mainly in these 60 FPS modes is where image quality issues start being the big deal. And that's when people start complaining about it the most. And at that point, it is just kind of goes with the territory. It's hard to complain so much so when, you know, like these these things are very expensive to render. At that point, um, I think it's good for if developers, if you don't like that trend, um, it's probably good to make a deal about it online on the Internet. Uh, so developers start targeting 60 FPS maybe by not using next-gen technologies or... I mean, there's the fact that Unreal Engine 5 is going to keep evolving over time that Rich just talked about. So it, I imagine it will get better over time. I think I think maybe devs should look at using TSR instead of FSR 2 sometimes as another thing. And uh, lastly, if you're really upset about um, the image quality you're getting there on the console, there's always ways to go above that if you just look at a PC. Uh, it's more expensive, obviously. Uh, but you get what you pay for to a certain degree. So um, it's a bit of a tough luck that I'm saying to you, like tough luck, Gar Garfield, but like it will get better. But like also there's only so much you can do with a certain amount of silicon. And I, I don't want to fault devs too much for saying like, yeah, 60 FPS doesn't have great image quality always. It's kind of mm -hmm. just like it happens. It happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Charlie Brown's sitting there pretty with his <laughs> RTX DLSS, isn't he? Yeah, he is probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, okay, uh, I think that's fair enough. John, what's your thoughts on image quality for these new games? It's, uh, it, it is, I mean, you know, when Jedi Survivor came in, it, it was it was, it was a bit of a. I yeah. think uh, I don't think it's this bad across the board, but I think there have been some key releases where it's pretty bad, and maybe it is due to pushing this stuff. But I also think we've seen an increased reliance on FSR two. And I kind of feel like there's a little bit of this magic bullet syndrome going on where they're like, well, you know, this promises to let us render lower res internally and still get X result when in reality, it's not actually the case. Yeah. And it's more, I actually, I don't want to fault FSR2 here too much. It's not so much FSR2 can look amazing. It's more that I think that developers are perhaps pushing it a little bit too far like trying to upscale from way too low resolutions. And I actually think they've just gone too far with it. And it sort of breaks what FSR2 can do. It's not intended to be used at these absurd resolutions. Like I think what was that, that Lords of the Fallen thing, which I, I know that got 
there will be a video, I think, still happening, but it keeps getting pushed yeah, back due to yeah. patches that keep happening they keep patching over and over and over again. Every day. Like, but what I mean, do you do? You can't cover that. I was oh looking at that screen Tom sent of when the game was on Series S running at 576 by 324 resolution at seven frames per second. The image quality and just the way it looked was so bad. I mean, the... And that shot in particular was funny because the performance and image quality was actually worse than like Shadow of the Colossus running in 480p on a PS2 and much worse, especially because of the attempt at upscaling. I say attempt when you're down to resolutions like that, like it just doesn't work. It's bad. It's broken. And I think we need people to realize that these reconstruction solutions have limitations. There is like a minimum you need to hit. And I think that's what's causing a lot of these issues is it's just games going too far below it and i do actually think that scaling back in other ways might behoove them as well uh there's got to be but finding that right right balance is difficult right and yeah maybe this is all learnings that will happen we'll see especially on series s yeah yeah well series s is potentially useful in that it kind of sets like this minimum requirement that maybe has a positive impact on the other machines right if you got to run on series s I mean, conceivably, without the Series S, who knows how low they would go with the other ones. Yeah, right? Like, they have to just, like, there's a minimum threshold of quality that Series S kind of has. Series S, though, man, it is. Like, I've been playing some old PS3 and 360 stuff somewhat recently through the RetroTink 4K. And I, I, I do actually think that image quality is kind of worse now in some ways I get than what, what we were mean. getting there. Right. Like you play like a 360 game with like MSAA enabled versus like this like 324p Series S game with reconstruction, and it it genuinely looks much better. 60 in the FPS 360 game. modes, man. These 60 so, FPS modes again. That was another 60 FPS mode special, I think. Though, yeah, that well, yes, S. it was technically yeah. in the 60 FPS mode. It was just down <laughs> running. All of it was running FPS. at seven FPS, which I believe yeah. they fixed, by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's hard to know. Oh my god. So we don't. Yeah. But like, I would like to see if more Series S games maybe just didn't have a 60 FPS mode. Then I mean, I like the option. Everything's yeah. always an option. Give it, give it the option to go down to 320p. Whatever. I had a feeling but, this was going to be the at case. At least launch, have a 30 though. FPS mode. Because I remember Dirt yeah. Five came out and had its 120 FPS mode on Series S, and that's like freaking. It looks like 480p or something. It's yeah, super it nasty looking. Uh, and oh, this opens up a whole other discussion about resolutions, though, because having a low pixel count does not inherently mean your game will look bad. It's all about the combination of display type, the way it's scaled or not scaled to that display type. Like, you know, 640 by 480 on a good VGA PC CRT monitor, as you know, Alex, looks awesome. It's so, it's so beautiful looking 480p upscaled with FSR (laughs) two and then output to 4k and blown up on a large flat panel screen. looks bad. My goodness. Yeah. It's a very different beast. It's switch on a okay. you know on a but large any, HD panel. Okay, sorry, Rich. You know? Just yeah. t- too much tangent. Get back on track. <laughs> let's do this. Uh, okay, well, let's move on to our final question. And actually, there's two questions in one again. Uh, the first of all from Tamer Eskander. Uh, Hi, DF crew, and welcome back, Rich! Exclamation point. Would love to get John's impression on the Quest Three since he's the resident VR expert. What do you think of the graphical updates shown for certain titles running on the new device? Seems like a potential leap forward. Thanks. This one from Simplex. Will someone from the DF crew make the ultimate sacrifice and review the MetaQuest 3? Definitely check out Red Matter 2. It's optimized by actual wizards. Pro tip, 
get a replacement strap, either official elite strap or a replacement like Bobo VR, the default elastic strap is bad. Uh, so John, uh, I'm not sure we got any plans to do a, a spe specific review of the MetaQuest 3 stuff. However, you have now experienced both the Quest 2 and the Quest 3, and uh, I'd love to get your, yeah. your, your thoughts on both of At them. At some point, I kind of want to do like a VR headset showdown and just talk about these, because, you know, it's hard to showcase VR in a video, so if you just talk about them all. But I'll talk about what I've experienced so far. So I have a Quest 2, and I have borrowed a Quest 3 temporarily, and I've played with them both. And my thoughts are that the, the Quest 3 makes some nice improvements. Uh, it is less uh it it's less thick it's lighter uh they use pancake lenses on there so it actually the optics are slightly improved i wouldn't say it made as big of a difference as i expected but it's still it's it's definitely better uh and it's just it does feel like a more premium nicer headset so i i mm. like that but the quest 2 still it holds up surprisingly well it's a good headset too uh, the big thing though, with regards to graphics, so I tested a few games and the big one that I, I tested a hubris, which I also tested on PSVR two, by the way. And this is a really cool game that combines like shooting puzzles, swimming, all kinds of stuff into it. And this is an unreal engine based game. And right away on the quest three, the big thing I noticed is just, there's a massive increase in clarity and just general sense of distant detail. Like it, the Quest 2, I would say, playing that game on the Quest 2, it looks pretty good and runs well, but it feels a bit like playing a PSV VR one game. You know, you know the you know the look, Rich, right? Where it just yeah. it feels like the game pixels are just pretty chunky and big, and it just the whole thing feels a bit yeah. lo-fi, right? But mm -hmm. it's still immersive. You go to Quest 3 and it suddenly starts to feel more like a dedicated VR platform, like it feels more like I what I might have imagined experiencing in PC VR several years ago, right? right. Like all this now feels more like a PC VR head, headset experience, except for it's all done within the SOC built into the unit. So that is kind of a revelation. That's kind of the sense I've gotten from everything I've looked at so far between them is just the resolution tends to be higher, uh, Asset quality textures especially seem better. I notice things like in some games there's more grass, you know, more distant LOD stuff happening. It just feels richer and filled out and more closer to what you'd expect from a higher-end VR experience. And I would describe it as like this halfway house between the Quest 2 and like a PSVR 2 experience at this point. Maybe closer to yeah. PSVR 2. Not quite that level, mind you. I would say, although there's a lot of PSVR 2 stuff that's derived from Quest, so you kind of mm. feel that. Uh, we're not at the point, though, where we're seeing like Half-Life Alex level fidelity on one of these portable headsets. I suspect that's still not really feasible. I, I mean, I actually don't yeah. know how far they could push the Quest 3 hardware, but that's that seems like a gigantic ask. It won't happen, obviously, but I, I don't know about that. Uh, I will say, though, both of them are really interesting when used with virtual desktop for your PC. Uh, I actually tried this down in my living room right next to my router. So my PC's wired. I stood next to the router and I could connect to the PC via virtual desktop and use both headsets on the PC wirelessly, which is a revelation, I must say, being able to use these things. Suddenly, have, you know, I'm down in the living room. There's no wires connected. You can spin all over and play in like Half-Life Alex. That way feels freaking great. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, it is very, very cool. And obviously the optics improve screen and all that kind of stuff on the quest three helps make that experience feel, it feels like you're playing a, a high end VR PC experience, which you are, but you're not, you know, connected by wires, which is awesome. And neither of them are OLED, right? No, they're not. It's still LCD. And that actually, that's the biggest thing. So this is seen some interesting things. So the PSVR 2's OLEDs do really nice deep black, and it does get pretty bright. It's pretty intense. But then I'm also testing the Pimax Crystal, which is like the opposite of these because it's so freaking heavy. It's a ridiculous headset. Uh, I don't even, I don't find it very comfortable, but holy heck. Like the, I, I mentioned this last week, I think, but just the clarity of the screen that uses LCD, but it uses really good quality local dimming and it's super bright, super intense. And it goes up to 120 Hertz. Uh, and just like the clarity of that is unreal. And the FOV is unreal. It's, it's, it's like a preview of like where I would like VR to keep moving to. Like, obviously you still need like to be connected to a PC to make this work uh at that fidelity i would say but man it's it's very promising and yeah the quest 2 experience quest 3 experience it's not there yet i would say but uh i like i like the quest i i do like the quest a lot i actually another okay. game i played this week was the seventh guest it got a vr oh, wow. release and it's a it's a new game that's been rebuilt to sort of retell the story of the seventh guest and I got a bit emotional when you first walk into that mansion, that, that initial hallway with the staircase. And it's like, you're there being able to look and walk around in 3d. Uh, I, it would have been like a dream. I could never even have imagined back in like the early nineties when I first played that on my PC. So, uh, and they actually integrate FMV into the 3d models as well. Kind of, it looks like, I need to better experiment, but the characters look like filmed actors, which they are. But when you, when you move around, it's like a 3d object. So I think they've like somehow mapped FMV stuff onto these models in a weird way to make it look like you're watching video, uh, which Crazy. is really compelling and cool. And it works in the okay. quest too, even it looks awesome. So, well, this is my final question for you, John, because prior to this hands-on and actually spending time with it, you weren't actually besotted with the concept of the quest. No, I wasn't. And part of it was just, it just seemed underpowered. The first demo I saw wasn't great. And then I only had used a quest, a friend's quest with the included head strap, which I freaking hated. It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, I got the pro strap for this quest. And that basically, that's the game changer. It basically behaves more like a PSVR or, you know, any of those other headsets where you get the little knob in the back and it sits more comfortably on your head. Once I switched to that and got a lens insert so I don't have to wear my glasses, it's fantastic. So no complaints there. Okay. Interesting. Good stuff. Uh, I'd be really interested to see your VR headset face-off, particularly if you can get the Pimax in there. Uh, no, I want, I want to get the Pimax in there because the Pimax, actually, what I think the Pimax is probably best suited for, it's less the room-scale VR, which it can do, and it's cool, but it's more for the hardcore PC guys that want to do sims, right? Whether it's racing, spaceship-based games, anything with a lot of granular detail. Like, when you look at, like, a cockpit in VR inside the Pimax crystal, it's so freaking clear that you just 
it feels like you can reach out and touch the buttons. There is no screen door effect anymore. It's just gone. It just looks like super ultra high res, normal PC graphics, but in 3D VR with a bigger, larger FOV. Uh, it feels awesome in those kind of cockpit mm. games. So, but I, I think again, it's a so you kind of have to know what kind of VR gamer you are. And yeah, I would like to break down in more detail what makes each headset special, why they're all different, you know. Because I think they all have different use cases. And uh, the Pimax is weird, though, because it also has its own SoC built in and apparently is going to have its own store and wireless stuff as well. And I'm curious to see oh, wow. what its SoC actually can do. I guess we'll find out soon enough. That feature is not activated yet. So I don't know. The VR headset space is wild right now. There's, there's, there's okay. still stuff happening. Okay, that's enough. Enough VR. <laughs> Sorry. It's interesting. No, no, no. Right. I was fascinated because we've not really talked about it. But uh, I know you've been spending a lot of time with it recently. So it's really you know, it great to see these questions come up. But that is the final set of questions and therefore the end of the show. So please do uh, like, subscribe, share if you enjoyed it. Uh, ring the bell for notionally instant notifications. Uh, a surprising lack of uh, notifications during my time off. Which mm. is a bit disappointing. No random gaming in HD? No random gaming HD, and like I get the DF uh, notifications like like four days late now. Oh, oh man, which is great. Not that I need them anyway, but there we are. Uh, yeah, DF supports program. Join us. Join our amazing community. Uh, submit your questions for the show, and uh, yeah, just generally get involved. Got an amazing community there. But that's all from us for this week. Thanks for watching. <laughs>